When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Sam, we've got a lot going on in Vikings land over the last couple of days. I had a chance to talk with ESPN's Courtney Cronin for our initial reaction episode. And at the time that we were initially reacting, we were not 100% sure what was going on with Everson Griffin and numerous other elements to the Minnesota Vikings roster. But we can now say Everson Griffin is back. And I won't go through the whole process of why that had to happen, but we'll just say Everson Griffin is on the roster, so we're good there. Jalen Holmes is waived. They let go Britton Colquitt, the punter, and now they're bringing him back is what the report is because they continue to finagle and mess with this roster to get the right guys on IR, the right guys on the roster. And I think we are very close to this thing being set. Chris Herndon is here that the Vikings traded for to the New York Jets. Uh, so let me take a deep breath and let you react to where we're at now that I think we are very close to the Vikings 53 man roster. Yeah. Um, the, the three week IR is so convenient for teams that it's going to revolutionize the way these rosters get set, um, going forward. So get used to this, unless the league gets rid of the three week IR every year might be like this, um, because cause there there's incentive to do it, but you know, I think a lot of people who made 53-man projections were panicking, like like us. Oh, man, we were way off. And now that the dust is settling a little bit, I think things are coming into focus more the way we thought, like Griffin being on the roster, Jalen Holmes being off the roster. Probably um, the three specialists will all be intact with DePaula and Colquitt and Joseph, who, by the way, was the sole survivor for a period of time today. He was the only specialist on the team. There used to be six of them. Like, I wanted to see a survivor-style documentary on, like, how he outwitted and outplayed and outlasted the rest of them. Um, But it's, like, the oldest practice squad I've ever seen. They somehow got all of their veterans through, like, you know, Dakota Dozier accepted a practice squad spot. Amir Abdullah, Perry Nickerson. So they're very experienced on the practice squad, which is kind of rare because the league has relaxed those rules. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think probably in the next 48 hours, we'll kind of understand where things are going to be at. I still expect a quarterback, Matthew, and I think you do too. And maybe it's a former Viking. Maybe it's Sean Mannion who eventually comes in here and uh, and someone else will have to go. But uh, the Vikings have finagled it enough to where they've kind of, they've refilled the tight end room, right? They've got Herndon. They brought in Ellipson off waivers. Um, they have, uh, I think solidified that defensive line with Griffin coming back. So things are coming together right now. They are. And so I was going to ask you like, what questions do we have left to answer on the Vikings roster? I think that you named probably the biggest one, which is who will they have as their backup quarterback? Because as much as Kellen Mond in the third preseason game had some moments and finally showed a little bit of competent quarterback play. I don't believe that they're anywhere close to trusting him as the backup quarterback. And Mike Zimmer was asked about that today and gave a very wishy-washy answer that did not exactly sound like we believe in Kellen Mond as our number two quarterback. And with Sean Mannion being released, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network brought up the idea that they could possibly bring back Sean Mannion, which we all appreciate Sean Mannion as a veteran journeyman quarterback who knows the offense extremely well and who 
if asked to step in for a game or something, would not fall all over himself, we assume, like what we saw from Jake Browning. And Jake Browning is not on this roster right now. I suppose they could have four quarterbacks if they wanted to bring him back and use one of those practice squad spots if he were to agree to that and still also bring in a veteran backup quarterback. But let me throw this out there to you. Put away all the things about egos and celebrity and all that sort of stuff. And tell me, would you rather have Sean Mannion or Cam Newton as your backup quarterback? Now, I don't know that Cam Newton would agree to be a backup quarterback anywhere. He might just wait and see if a quarterback gets hurt and a team gets desperate. Uh, But I, I wonder about bringing back someone like Sean Mannion who cannot save a season for you. Maybe he could play two games or three games, but he's not even of a Case Keenum level where that was a guy with previous success to some extent in starting. And Sean Mannion has basically never gotten a chance to start outside of a week 17 game. Uh, Do you think that they should try to do better than someone like Sean Mannion, especially since when you look at their salary cap space, they've got space to spend a couple of million dollars on somebody that could fill that role. Yeah. And I don't think the Brian O'Neill extension is going to break them. Like I think that'll introduce a couple million dollars this year, but they should have money remaining. And if, if you can say about your backup quarterback, Oh yeah, he's, he's been to a super bowl. I mean, that that's a pretty good thing to, to have on your resume. Now it was a while ago, but you know, pre COVID cam, Last year with the Patriots was awesome. I mean, New England was on fire for Cam Newton. And then he got COVID and everything kind of hit the fan in New England. There was very little talent around him. And I've got plenty of concerns like his his arm strength and accuracy has been declining for years now. Injury prone, all of that. Um, But, you know, if you really want to take this thing seriously and again, with the unvaccinated quarterback, there's a risk of him missing time. Uh, Who would you rather have? You know, someone who's played at the highest level before in his career or someone who's, you know, really never played at all, you you know, in Jake Browning or even Sean Mannion's case, who started two meaningless games in his career. um, Yeah, that's a pretty low bar. Now is Newton going to fulfill the responsibilities that the Vikings typically like in their backup quarterback, which is support Kirk, help him game plan, help him prepare, stay late after practice, things like that. I don't know if that's, if that's what you expect from someone like Cam Newton when they come in, But, um, you know, on the right deal, that would certainly make sense to me if they think it's not going to be a locker room problem. Well, I just thought of it as being a vintage type of Minnesota Vikings thing to do. When you think about this team's history with backup quarterbacks and how they once brought in Randall Cunningham just because he was better than any other backup quarterback, even though he was thought to be washed, he comes in behind Brad Johnson in 1998, steps into the limelight, takes him to the NFC Championship and nearly the Super Bowl when Brad Johnson gets hurt. And the vaccination status, unfortunately, has to be a part of that equation. So if you're making the case for bringing in someone like Cam Newton, that would be a major sticking point since Kirk Cousins appears that he's not going to change his mind with that. So if you had him and Kellen Mond and uh, Cam Newton all unvaccinated, that could be a problem where you end up with a wide receiver starting a quarterback. That is not what you want, of course. Uh, Although you could, in this situation, try to separate the quarterbacks, which they talked about before, and not have them in the same room that could cause a close contact, which is actually what caused Kirk Cousins to miss practice time. It wasn't that he tested positive. It was that he was close contact with Kellen Mond. And unfortunately, this is a storyline and it will clearly continue to be as we've seen more players test positive. Uh, Tyron Matthew today, uh, the Tennessee Titans had an issue with Ryan Tannehill and a couple of other players and coaches. Sorry, folks, this is not going to disappear as a storyline. But if you were talking about like who could save your bacon if something went wrong, it's not Sean Mannion. And this comes from, you know, I have great respect for Sean Mannion. I do. Uh, I've interviewed him a number of times. He's a highly intelligent player. One of the smarter guys that you'll run into, but can he play five, six, seven games if you needed to and have him save a season? No. And, and when you look at what Cam Newton was dealing with last year, that Patriots team was half of a roster. And so he would come here with a running game and with, 
a couple of wide receivers who are really good. Like, I think there's an argument for trying to do slightly better than Trevor Simeon or Sean Mannion. If you've got the money and you're in a circumstance where everybody is got their job on the line, they trade a fourth round pick for Chris Herndon, who has not been good since his rookie year. And that to me says, uh Oh, we've really got to fill this spot. They sign a bunch of people to one-year contracts, including Everson Griffin, which all says, uh-oh, we've got to fill all these spots and have a good defense. Like, why wouldn't it be, uh-oh, we need a backup quarterback with the situation that we're in and the potential at any given time for someone to be out because of COVID? Yeah, I think they are in that situation. I mean, I would be pretty stunned if they didn't bring in somebody. And that's bolstered by the fact that Browning is ostensibly not on the practice squad yet despite reports and maybe that's just some bookkeeping stuff that's holding that up but uh i, I think 100 that somebody gets brought in like are is this team willing to bet that the third preseason game or the second half of the third preseason game is enough to base an opinion that kellen mond is ready to be a backup quarterback i don't think so yeah i, mean, I don't think all. you i don't think you can look at the first preseason game the second preseason game and and believe in your heart that he can win you football games against real defenses and and actual starters not a chance even in the third preseason game he turned the ball over twice before he kind of got it together uh so i i would say 90 percent there's a move coming it just might not be the flashy quarterback cam newton i mean i'd, I'd also say 90 percent it won't be him it'll probably be uh the boring journeyman and I know, and I guess I'm not sure who's been signed in the last couple hours, like back to their teams, but, you know, Nate Sudfeld or um, or Nick Mullins, you know, who started a number of games for San Francisco in that similar system would also make sense. So Nick Mullins is exactly the argument that I would make for calling Cam Newton. Nick Mullins has filled in two basically full seasons or half seasons for Jimmy Garoppolo. What happened for both? They just lost and lost and lost. I mean, if you wanted to say, hey, if Kirk goes down or if Kirk uh, ends up out because of COVID or something, then tank and you're in a better spot. But you didn't act like you were tanking in any way. And when it comes to a backup quarterback helping Kirk Cousins, this is a team that just brought back Everson Griffin, who tweeted things about Kirk Cousins. And then when asked if he was going to apologize, said, I'll get around to it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they didn't care about Kirk's feelings when they brought in Everson Griffin. Why would they care if they brought in another veteran quarterback who has previous experience? This is a thing that used to happen all the time with, say, like Bernie Kosar at one point was the backup quarterback for Dan Marino. But it seems to not happen anymore that you bring in an older guy who's past his prime to be your backup quarterback. And Cunningham was another great example of that. And they won a playoff game in 1997 with Randall Cunningham. Uh, I think that was another incidence of uh, Brad Johnson going down. Like, this is a thing that used to go on all the time, where veteran quarterbacks who were good at one point would just sort of bounce around. But Cam is such a bizarre case because I saw that uh, Doug Kide from PFF, who was on our show maybe two weeks ago, he was reporting that teams are sort of afraid to bring in Cam as a backup because he's like a celebrity. And I guess I get that. And I, I don't know, like someone continued to bring in Tim Tebow for this very reason. And, and I think that they've made lots of moves that throw caution to the wind. And, but with this one, they're going to try to pull out the four iron and hit it straight down the middle. I, I guess I just, I don't understand why this position would be treated differently. If there's someone out there who could be a vast upgrade. And even the fact that like you could bring in Cam Newton at the goal line. Um, do we think he's just going to be, like some big problem. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that that just ran through my mind today. And I'm sorry that I've spent the first like 15 minutes on this. I just, it, this is a position that seems this year it will be, or could potentially be important to this team. And they are, are going to, by not calling Cam Newton, forego an opportunity at someone who is far better still in his state, far better than Nick Mullins. Yeah, I like your one yard line idea. Like for all the Gopher fans, kind of a Seth Green, bring him in, bring him in on third and short. I love it. Um, but you have to consider too um, who the quarterback is currently for the Vikings, and the and the Vikings probably know that maybe he's not in the most uh, resolute mental state right now. He's he seemed a bit fragile to me this this preseason, and um, 
not exactly handling the adversity of the injuries, the vaccination questions, um, maybe feeling the hot seat a little bit with his contract. I haven't felt like he's really handled that with a lot of uh, a plum. So, you know, bringing in Cam Newton to that room could push him even further kind of over the edge. Um, I'm not saying that Kirk is going to fail this year. It just hasn't been all uh, hunky-dory. It hasn't been all positive with him. So I think that that's a consideration too. And nobody's more celebrity adverse or drama adverse than this uh, Vikings administration. I mean, I don't think they would typically bring in a backup who they think at all might rock the boat, even if they wouldn't. Um, you know, they tend to, if they're going to bring in someone notable, it's going to be one of their own guys. It's going to be an Everson Griffin. That's the only kind of player they would bring in that has any kind of baggage. Um, and, and Newton's not one of their guys. So I, again, I'm, I'm 90%. It doesn't happen. And I don't, that's kind of an archaic way to look at it too. Like, I mean, there's a, so many personalities in the locker room that, yeah, you're going to have some that are a little more, um, you know, famous than others, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't make bold decisions. And this team seems, you know, to be kind of putting all of their chips into the table this year anyway. So why not uh, go out and just get talent at any cost? Well, and they've thrown caution to the wind in so many ways. And also you're right that sometimes they try to be drama averse and yet the drama comes to them. Like with Stefan Diggs, or this is the team that kept bringing back Adrian Peterson after the thing with his kid. I, I mean, they've sort of brought a lot of it on themselves, but then with this, they don't want to have that. And I guess it just doesn't quite add up to me, but there seems to be a thing with Cam where it's like, if you're going to bring him in, he's got to be your starting quarterback and that's it. So his career might be over. I don't know. I mean, there's usually someone who gets hurt uh, and then needs a quarterback and that person will have to pop in, uh, you know, uh, or that team will have to pop in Cam Newton all of a sudden. So that's a possibility for somewhere with a bad quarterback situation. But um, I, I don't know. It just seems like to not really gel with the other moves they've made to have someone like Nick, uh, Nick Sudfeld or Nate Sudfeld, any type of Sudfeld. So let me ask you this question though. So I'll move on from this subject. Now that Chris Herndon is here and Irv Smith is not for presumably the full season, though many people have reminded me that his timeline could result in him coming back for the Super Bowl. So, you know. Could happen, Matthew. Yeah, I, I don't rule anything out. I can't say it's impossible. So that is true. And, and I'll include that in the commentary. But now that Irv Smith will not be a part of this all season, where would you rank? Kirk Cousins supporting cast in the NFL of all the quarterbacks of all the supporting cast. You don't have to give me like 17th or something, but let's just say, is it top tier still? Cause I think you could have said it was top tier. Do you think it's like middle? Do you think it's bottom? Like where, whereabouts do you think his now supporting cast is without Irv Smith jr.? Yeah, I think it's in the middle, um, and that's an easy answer. But we were talking about this today. There, there's about five factors, right? There's uh, pass-catching weapons, there's running game, there's pass-blocking, and there's uh, defensive support, so let's call it. So I guess that's four. That's four factors. I think his pass-catching obviously takes a hit. He still has two elite wide receivers, huge question mark at wide receiver three, and now I'd say huge question mark at tight end, period, right? Um, and even though Chris Herndon, yes, his rookie season was better than any Irv Smith season so far. I don't think that means that Chris Herndon is better than Irv Smith. In fact, the, the fact that he was available is, you know, pretty bad look considering that I think he went into camp as the alleged number one and played his way out of it, um, really struggled last year. So all of that's negative around Chris Herndon, um, still fresh surroundings, um, you know, was in a bad situation in New York, might sort of revive things. So he might be all right, but I've got questions. Um, I've got questions about like four of the five offensive linemen, right? Dalvin Cook's probably the strongest weapon. Um, and the defense, I think, could be good, but I'm not going to ordain them yet. So uh, I think they're kind of in the middle, you know? Like I, I think there are teams out there with a lot more that's established, um, from a protection standpoint, from a, a defensive standpoint, from a pass catching standpoint. And I've got a lot of questions about this team. So um, I, I don't think having two elite wide receivers 
makes you an elite offense. We've seen that in the past with Diggs and Thielen, right? It doesn't guarantee anything. 2018, Thielen has one of the best starts in NFL history. Diggs is balling out as well, and the team still floundered and missed the playoffs. So it that, that kind of stuff can happen. Same with Jefferson and Thielen last year. That team wins seven games, and those two combined for 2,300 yards. Um, so I think the supporting cast is right there in the middle. If the defense gets really good, then that aspect of it helps, I think, all the others. But I'm not, I'm, I can't put them in the upper tier right now just because of that line, kind of the depth of the pass catchers and the defense. Hey, everybody, the season is on the way. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, T-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate. Check it all out at sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Everything is screen printed here in Minnesota, and I can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now Soda Stick at this point. Again, that's sodastick.com, Minnesota sports-inspired goods, and keep your eye out for our Soda Stick giveaways. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm just trying to do a quick buzz through of which NFC teams would clearly have better supporting casts than the Vikings now without Irv Smith. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, for sure, because they have three wide receivers. And at least if their line is healthy, they've got a chance to be better. The New York Giants, probably their line hurts them a lot. But Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, that might be sort of even. Like, we think their offensive line is rough, but... Like this offensive line is starting a career swing tackle at left tackle in week one. Um, Philadelphia, definitely not. Uh, Washington, I think, does now have a better supporting cast for Ryan Fitzpatrick now that they have Curtis Samuel. They have a very good offensive line. Um, I don't know how well they run the ball. I don't know how much that matters. Arizona's got DeAndre Hopkins. They've got a couple other weapons. That's probably even. I'm not going to go through every team, I promise. The Rams are better, though. San Francisco is better. Seattle's got a case for being about even or better. Like My point is that, that all of a sudden, this has a domino effect to the point where you could have made the case that Cousins has this great supporting cast again, and here he comes with... Irv Smith taking that step forward, it adds a different element than Kyle Rudolph ever did. And now you look at it as much more of a mid-pack in the NFC. So the follow-up question here is, what has to go right for now Kirk Cousins to have a good supporting cast this year? Because what has to go, what could go wrong is very easy. Like Justin Jefferson falls on that shoulder wrong again, and you are just toward the bottom of the NFC in terms of supporting cast overall, if he has an injury and the same goes for Adam Thielen. So we know that that's, that goes without saying, how do they get to at the end of the year? We say, wow, Kirk actually had a great supporting cast this year. Yeah. I think number one, Dalvin cook has to play 16 games, uh, 17 games, but 16 that, would be good. The six, but 16 would be great. Yeah. You can, maybe they'll sit him in week 17. Um, I think that needs to happen um, because you want that running game strong, obviously, around Kirk. It's a huge part of what this team does, even though, you know, passing is uh, going to trump running every time. They need to get, I think, about a thousand yards in aggregate from their top two tight ends. Um, for example, the last four games last year with Rudolph and Conklin, they were on a 1400 yard pace in aggregate if they had done that for a full season. That's incredible for the tight end position. I'm not even asking for that. I'm asking for a thousand yards from Herndon and uh, Conklin and whoever else, Ellefson, Dylan, Davidson off the practice squad. Um, any of the, the 
guys whose names end with Owen, I guess. Um, and that, that you need to get some tight end production, especially in the red zone, right? Like I, I thought that losing Kyle Rudolph was going to be a problem in the red zone because cousins hasn't necessarily had a lot of chemistry, um, you know, with his other tight ends in that area. And, uh, and Herb Smith, I think was going to be pretty good. So now you've got, you've, you've got that question too. Who's going to catch passes inside the 20, I guess Thielen was kind of the, the main guy last year. Um, and teams are going to know that. So you're going to have to look to your wide receivers a lot more. I, I'm not convinced that I need a lot of like production from the wide receiver three. That's just not how this team rolls. Just like be, be consistent. If that means 30 yards a game, let it be 30 yards a game. They're probably going to be on the field 20 to 30 snaps. But the big one, Collar, is the protection, right? I mean, you need to have an above-average season from somebody that you don't expect to have an above-average season from. So that's Udo or Hill. They can't both be disasters, or the line's going to be a disaster. So one of them needs to overachieve. Garrett Bradbury needs to be league average as a pass protector. Ezra Cleveland needs to be league average as just a guard in general. We don't really know what he can do yet. And Brian O'Neill needs to be himself. Okay. So I'm asking for like two or three of the question marks on the offensive line to overachieve and sort of raise the water level of that group, which is still the most precarious on the roster. That's exactly where I was going to go is what needs to go right. Other than health health goes without saying is that Oli Udo and Ezra Cleveland, two former tackles, have to pass block really, really well. And what happened to last year with the interior offensive line was they got thrown off quite a bit by blitzes and stunts and twists and things like that, where it seemed like Dakota Dozier and Garrett Bradbury and who was it? Uh, Ezra Cleveland toward the end of the year, but Drew Samia, Pat Elfline, whoever was there had, except for Brett Jones, who was fine, had problems week after week after week in the big situations. And a stat that I ran across that really blew my mind is over the last three years, the Vikings are 24th in third down percentage. And I think that says a lot because that's when the other team can just go crazy. I mean, you know, the defensive coordinators are drawing up the X's and O's like psychopaths every single week. Here's what we're going to do with this crazy blitz. And you can only use it on third and eight. And that's where it feels like the Vikings have really struggled over these last three years is sustaining drives. And that's why their scoring percentage, like the times they score versus the amount of drives was I think 18th in the league last year and has not ever really been that high with Kirk cousins because they hit on explosive plays and score, but drive to drive, they seem to have problems there. So if Ole Udo and Ezra Cleveland can figure this out at the right and left guard positions and pass block above average, especially in key spots. I think he actually has a chance to have a decent overall um, supporting cast, even without a star tight end, because when you think about it, I mean, Tyler Conklin could probably do what Kyle Rudolph did aside from being six, seven or six, six and jumping up and bouncing the ball to himself. Like he did a couple of times in 2019, going over the middle, finding a little space catching a pass and running six yards after like these things can happen with Tyler Conklin. Uh, We thought that Irv Smith was going to be special and he's got a chance to be someday. So there, it does take it down a notch from there, but this doesn't feel so much different from say 2019 where they're going to have basically the two wide receivers and someone gets hurt in the middle of the year. And there's another option. Like they can work around this. I think another part of it though And this is what I have no idea how to project. Tell me if you've been figuring out some formula to project this. Clint Kubiak, do we still, after preseason training camp, have any sense for what Clint Kubiak is going to do as the offensive coordinator of this team? No. And for those listening, not watching, I'm shaking my head during that whole question. I've got no idea. Um, I don't think he was dealt a very good hand with, two quarterbacks that he had to like handhold in, in three of those games. Right. I mean, the only, the only time where I think Clint Kubiak got to do thing, realistic things that he would do in the regular season early in the second game, early in the third game. And those were not very successful. We saw one decent drive that ended in a field goal. Um, And again, that was still without 
a number of his weapons. So we really haven't gotten any indication of what he does with a full deck. It concerns me a little bit that he's still kind of messing with where he's calling plays from. I mean, he starts down on the field, then he goes up top, and he's had, what, one game, maybe two games in the booth calling plays? Uh, and you can see way more up there. I get why why you would do it, but I would just like those basic things to be figured out. I mean, this is such an important season, and they're entrusting one of the most important roles to somebody who is so new at it. And it's hard to get in Clint Kubiak's head. Um, he's not quite as comfortable in, in press conferences as his dad, not as forthright. We're not really going to get, I think, a lot of his inner workings, like what's going on up there. So, I mean, he, he might be brilliant. He just doesn't really, you know, sell the program very well to us. Um, I think probably in the within the walls of TCO Performance Center, he's probably got much better command. Everybody says that he's really good in the meeting room. So I believe that. Um, but I, I, I haven't seen it and I don't know what goes on. So it's hard for me to like fully believe in what's happening. Yeah. He didn't take media training from Gary because Gary <laughs> was fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a great question, Sam. I, you know, I, I used to play with a guy named Terrell Davis. He's a pretty good running back, you know, and uh, I, you know, my roommate, John Elway, he knew how to make a play. Gary was great. So uh, with Clint, though, you're right that with John Filippo, we had a feel for him very early on. And there are certain coaches that really want you to know that they want the world to know the answers to the questions. And John Filippo was one of them where mm -hmm. you would ask him, so what happened there? And he would give you an explanation. And personally, I and I'm I do have uh, skin in the game here, but like. I don't think that that's a bad thing that fans better understand what's going on and have answers, but there are other coaches and George Edwards was like this, that it was like, I am not telling you guys anything. Sorry. You can ask all day long, but I'm just not giving you the answers and that, and I respect it. That's Clint Kubiak. He doesn't want to really give the answers to the questions. So we're going to have to find out with what actually happens. And that means that the range of outcomes is very wide here because I could see Clint Kubiak looking at their offense last year and saying, you know, dad, you really forgot to motion anybody and your offense is amazing. And it's changed the NFL. It truly has. I mean, you see it in so many different places, but other teams are motioning and other teams are, you know, taking these things that were staples of John Elway and Terrell Davis, and they're changing them to look similarly or to, you know, add different elements to them that maybe Gary Kubiak didn't have. And I think we saw some of that with Kevin Stefanski in 2019. There's that part. There's the other part where the guy's just in over his head and doesn't know how to be an offensive coordinator. I mean, that's possible because he's going from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, and we don't know which direction that's going to go. And I agree with you that it certainly threw up a flare or shot up a flare in my mind when Mike Zimmer came out and said, I put Clint Kubiak up there. And it was like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess he wasn't trying that out himself. You could have played it off as if, oh yeah, he's trying everything, you know, to figure out what he likes best. But Mike Zimmer saying the receivers were talking to him too much and he's got to be up there. That was a surprising thing that took me aback and makes me really feel like I just don't know where Clint Kubiak stands in the range of all offensive coordinators. Like, is he going to be, a Todd Downing that just didn't work out in Oakland, or is he going to be your, your new McVay who comes here and adds a bunch of innovation uh, and makes your offense decidedly better. I, I can't tell from what we've seen so far. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got to have a first time right to do this and everyone kind of goes through the same thing, but like with D Filippo, he was so frontal with everything that was going on to the point where Zimmer was telling him to run the ball more and more or less, he said, Nope, like we're going to keep doing it this way. And he got fired for it. So he put himself out there. Zimmer pushed back and there were fireworks. Kubiak's not going to put himself out there. I think he's going to be a yes man. So I think Zimmer's going to be generally happy with the philosophy, but you know, when push comes to shove and you've got a big third down and you've got to call something creative, that's where you separate yourself, right? And that comes back to what you talked about, third downs. 
Um, how creative are they going to be? What wrinkles are there to this offense? Now, it could be that they've withheld all of that um, because I've seen nothing to suggest that there's much different going on. Like, if anything, they've gone back to Norv with, like, more 13 personnel. I saw a decent amount of that in training camp. I haven't seen anything that's, you know, creative or suggests that they're going to go four wide receivers more because Kubiak does have some experience in those kind of offenses. So if there if there's trickery, if there's more motion, I don't know if I've witnessed it. I think it's going to be, at least until he finds his footing and his confidence as a play caller, it is going to be a lot of what we saw from Gary and what Clint is is comfortable and familiar with. And that might not be complex. Um so it's going to, you know, he's relying on the talent. He's going to rely on the talent to execute more simple concepts, I think, and um, get in the end zone and work the way down the field. And hopefully the protection holds up for Kirk. Like that's, I think, what Clint Kubiak is banking on this year. Okay, give me your snap first number that comes into your head here. Uh, where do you think the offense finishes in points scored this year? um 11th last year right correct yeah, yeah. shaking I, head if you're listening to the audio um 11th last year i think they are 10th i think you, they you go think up it's gonna be better okay i think they go up one spot last year was pretty um pitiful at times right mm-hmm. like they they started so horribly um, even though I mean, they did put up some points in a couple of those games, though, so I shouldn't completely disregard that. Yeah, I I think I think it's about the same, to be honest with you. I mean, they the the number the raw numbers were fine. I just like watching the games. I felt like there was a lot of meat left on the bone. Yeah, I just don't know if there is going to be um, enough assertiveness from this offense to kind of you know chew off the the rest. I think they're going to wind up kind of meandering back there upper half of the league uh, do they fall behind in some games and have to come back i'm i mean I'm, I'm calling them a top 10 offense so i'm not dissing them by any means i just don't see a market improvement i'm gonna go 16th okay. i think that they are dead in the center if irv smith was here i would have said 10th or 8th but without irv smith i think that that matters Uh, It's not going to destroy them to the point that they can't offense. But from what we've seen leading up to the beginning of the season, I have a tough time saying, no, no, you're going to be well above average or you're going to be up toward the top of the league. Uh, I think that if the offensive line plays extremely well, then they can be in the top 10. But then we've still got the dynamic of like, is Kirk Cousins going to push it? Is he going to take some risks. Is he going to, I saw that Ben Baldwin of the athletic had a thing about, you know, when you need a big play made by your quarterback, Kirk cousins is not that guy um, that he was toward the bottom of the league. And I forget what exactly the parameters were. Maybe it was like in a third down and eight or something like that. And that's or final four minutes of a half. I think. Yeah. Final four minutes of halves expected points added per play. Right. Right. And he, he was just not that guy. And that's never been who he is. Um, so, you know, the guys like Pat Mahomes and Russell Wilson are at the top and Kirk cousins is just not the aggressive quarterback. That's going to push your offense over the top. And uh, now that a thing has gone wrong, that's usually the way we lay it out. Things need to go right for him to have an elite offense. Uh, okay. So I, I want to know it just real, real quick question. Then I have something fun for you. Hmm. It, you have been, you've stuck on 11 and six for the entire off season. They were making moves and I was saying, Sam pick win loss. What do you think? And you said 11 and six, 11 and six. And then some things would go wrong and a tackle would get hurt and not have his groin heel and so forth. And you'd say 11 and six, I'm staying with it. Irv is hurt. The roster is set. We've seen all the drama with everything else surrounding Kirk and Mike Zimmer and so forth. Are you staying 11 and six? Yeah, I'm no coward. I'm not going to back down when the masses are are jumping off. Um, I think I will, you know, as people are leaving my island, my 11 and 6 island, there's a lot (laughs) more room on here. Was there a lot of people at 11 and 6 island? I don't know. I don't know. The fans on Twitter, maybe. I, um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable here. So I'm going to hang out and, you know, chill and just see what happens because I've, I have, too easily in the past been swayed 
by negativity in the preseason, particularly mm-hmm. 2017, where I was especially down on the team. And I'm not going to do that this year. So against all logic, I'm going to stick stick with it. See, that's interesting. I remember coming out of 2017 feeling like mm, this team could be pretty good. Uh, I didn't think they were going to be 13 and three. I thought they were going to probably be 10 and six, I think is what I picked them or maybe 11 and five. But I do remember coming off 2016, there was some like, can they do really anything with Sam Bradford here? Bradford had never really won before. Um, so that made some sense. I picked 10 and seven the first day of the schedule. I baked in calamity. Like I assumed, I didn't know it would be like this. I didn't exactly that day pick indictments for first round corners, groin injuries for left tackles, Everson Griffin coming back. Like there was, uh, you know, a lot of things that we can't foresee, which is why we do this because you never know what's around the corner with the Vikings. But I just always thought, well, there could be some things and probably will be some things that go sideways as they do for every team. So I'm still going to pack that into a 10 and seven pick. And I'm not going to change that either. I know that I've gotten messages from uh, quite a few fans who have said, I'm feeling like six and 11. Now I think this is going really sideways. And that's, that's, that's too far for me because I think that they've gone through the things that would normally cause you as a talented team to be closer to 500, closer to a 10 and seven fringe playoff type of record. And if nothing had gone wrong, I would have jumped up probably to 11 or 12 wins. Maybe if they had had this great preseason, Derisaw looked phenomenal. Irv Smith wasn't hurt. Like, but I didn't think you just cruise through this and survive. Okay. Here's the fun question for us to wrap up on. And uh, I really like this question. So we were talking to Mike Zimmer today, and I think it was Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune said, like, Mike, do you ever like, get used to how crazy things are around here? Just taking hit after hit, because that's the way it's been in this preseason. And Mike says it's been eight years of that. And in some ways, it's been even longer because he was there in Atlanta for Bobby Petrino quitting uh, on that team. And that was the same year that Michael Vick was arrested for the dogfighting. Uh, so it's just like, you think you've seen calamity, like no, nobody has seen it like Mike Zimmer and Mike Zimmer said that he's going to put it all in the book. And he said, quote, there's so much you guys don't know. Now, first of all, I would say, I'm just going to whisper. We know more than you think we know, Mike. Uh, that's one thing, but put that aside. What chapter of the book that Mike Zimmer writes someday, are you flipping to first? Let's say, let's say he has a fine couple of seasons, retires happily, and he's watching Chicago PD in his hot tub or whatever at the ranch that he once described to us. And he's typing out his life story and it's published and you get it in your hands and it's got all the chapters listed. Which one are you going right to with Mike Zimmer's book? Some that he's someday going to write. He's not writing it now, just to be clear. All right, on the count of three, let's both say it. Okay, I think we're going to say the same thing. Three, two, one. Norv. Norv, yep, yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> on a I delay. Tri- I tried Yes. Once. I tried it, once. It, you did. You asked him, you said, will you tell us about Norv? And Mike said no. And you said, at the Combine. And Mike said no. Um, but then he said he would write it in the book. So it's going to be in the book, what happened with Norv. Yeah. I it, Hey, you're an author. Maybe you will be his writer. He like he's got a fondness for you. He might connect with you about that. You've said that several times, and I I don't know that Mike has a fondness for any of us. But um, I'll try, though. Trust me, I'll try to get Mike to let me uh, co-author the book. Because anytime a coach writes a book, he needs a writer to help him write an actual book. Um, Norv would be the first chapter that I would clearly go to. I think Parcells would take up like 60% of the book, but I have always been sort of fascinated or, or maybe just wished that you could be a fly on the wall of when Bill Parcells and Mike are on the phone together talking football. Like, can you imagine, right? Like the, the level of footballiness of just having Parcells on speed dial and calling him and talking about everything that you're going through all the time. So I would love to read his thoughts on Parcells, which I'm sure would be a huge part of the book. Uh, The other part, he even name dropped Adrian Peterson. And now we do know about some of the stuff there, Mike, but um, his experience with Adrian Peterson going through the thing with his kid and everything else. And then 2016 and how wild that was. 
I think 2016, more than 17, 18, 19 by far, 2016 is the season I would be really interested in because they mm-hmm. started 5-0, and Teddy gets hurt, they go sideways. Like, I think I would really love to know more about what happened there behind the scenes with Zimmer and his team in 2016. Yeah, because Zimmer thought that team was going to the Super Bowl, right? I mean, there there's like locker room video after some of their early wins of him saying, this team is special, man. Like, we're going to go places. They're 5-0, and and you, it's hard not to, you know, believe him at that point. And then the wheels fell off. I think Zimmer described it the following year as like the sinking of the Titanic because like all of his linemen got hurt. Um, the kicker melted down, which would be another interesting thing to read about sort of like his experience with special teamers in, in, uh, from 2015 on. Um, and then, yeah, 2000, I mean, Alex Boone was a big personality on that team. Obviously there was just a lot that he, and and the eye thing, oh, I forgot about the eye thing in November, December of that year. Yeah. The eye, which obviously is, you know, kind of followed him around for, you know, every year since, cause he still can't really see perfectly out of it. So th- yeah, that's probably Zimmer's 2010, which was, I think the, that's probably the gold standard for craziest Viking season ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 2016 gets up there into the top five. Yeah. When a head coach has to miss a game, uh, and someone hangs from a truss inside the stadium and, a mm-hmm. you know, the plane goes off of the runway, like all sorts of things happen that season. It was almost every single week that it was something crazy. And I've sort of gotten that vibe so far this year that we're going to have something crazy happen every single week. Um, but I'll tell you the other one, because of course, Norv has to be number one. There's so much mystery of what happened with Norv. And I hope it's a good story when he eventually puts it in there. But um, I hope it's not just like we argued and he quit. Like, ah, I want it to be much more dramatic than that. But I'll give you the one. After 2017, they have three quarterbacks who are free agents, Teddy, Sam, and Case Keenum. I want to read Mike Zimmer's thoughts on what happened behind the scenes there, deciding on Kirk Cousins. Because Everson Griffin tweeting that Zimmer never wanted Kirk. I remember Zimmer's face when that happened. I remember the terror in his voice when he was talking to us at the combine about how if I sign the wrong quarterback, I'm getting fired. And he said, if we sign a free, an expensive free agent that could mess up our cap and ruin our roster, he knew it. He knew that this was a possibility. And I just wonder when they came out and said this was, we were all on the same page here. If he dug his heels in for Teddy or if he, whatever, uh, wanted to go a different direction, wanted to trade for Alex Smith. There were so many options that year. It's like, I don't even need to know about Zimmer and Kirk's relationship behind the scenes these last couple of years. Cause I'm not sure it's really even been behind the scenes. I think it's been pretty much right out front how they feel about each other. But in making that decision that, took this franchise in a, in a different direction, a pivot point in the franchise's history, truly. I want to read about that. Yeah, 100%, um, because that's an unprecedented situation in NFL circles to have three starting caliber quarterbacks all being free agents at once. Um, crazy, 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 crazy situation. I, I'm more interested on sort of his thoughts on Kirk or not Kirk, because I think you look at Bradford, and you realize that the knee just can't handle it. Like the, it just wouldn't make sense to stick with him. Keenum drove Zimmer nuts with his risk taking. I think Zimmer would, would be okay moving on from him and not overpaying for an anomaly, which is what paying for Keenum would have been at that point. And with Teddy, it kind of the same vein as Bradford, you know, with not knowing that Teddy would go on to be a six, you know, semi successful starter elsewhere at the time. I think you probably, if you're Zimmer, you understand why you can't sign him either. Now, if you get him for a, a cheap one-year deal, maybe you go that route. But I, I, th- I just want to hear about Zim waffling between Kirk or like make a first-round draft pick or you know what his hangups were about Kirk at the time because like the things that Zimmer said he liked about Kirk were true. He's durable. Okay, I'm surrounded by you know arthritic need quarterbacks. This is good. 
Like he's dirt. He's not going to get hurt. I want this. Um, he, you know, kind of has the, the pot, the pocket presence, right. Or allegedly he's able to stand in and make throws. Okay. Like that Zimmer wanted all those things. I just don't think he probably fully knew what he was getting. Um, and there's, and there's always a hope that when you surround a quarterback with a great defense, which the Vikings were coming off of having, um, there's probably a belief that that would raise the play of the quarterback too. So I could see Zimmer talking himself into Kirk um, and talking himself out of the other three for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah. I One thing that I wonder if they had any idea how to project was Kirk Cousins' personality and how much that clashes with Mike Zimmer. Clearly that personality worked with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan where he emerged as a starter and led some very good offenses in Washington. It did not with Jay Gruden. It clashed more with Jay Gruden and it's clashed here with Mike Zimmer, but it seemed to work okay with Kevin Stefanski. So I I don't really know if they knew how is he going to work with Zimmer because Teddy is the ultimate Zimmer quarterback. And you know who the rich man's version of Teddy Bridgewater is the guy was available. It's Alex Smith that year. Alex Smith is the rich man's Teddy. Like he's more talented as a number one overall pick, but he is very conservative in not pushing it down the field all that often, but never turns the ball over and wins. And anytime you hear them talk about Teddy, I know Carolina didn't play well last year, but they talk about him as a winner. And if you're going to look for a guy who didn't put up the greatest numbers, but won a ton of football games, Alex Smith, I think after his first couple of years were pretty rough with bad teams. I think he went something like 81 and 36 or something like, I mean, it was nuts how often the guy was in the playoffs and it just didn't you know, work out for him. And he probably does not take the team to a Super Bowl. But I wonder what that conversation was, because to me, he was the perfect Mike Zimmer quarterback to be a really like good leader. We saw that with the way that he worked with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and a guy who's not going to turn the football over. You could play good defense. And I think in 2018 and 19, Alex Smith would have just been a much better fit for a team that was playing defense and running the football than what Kirk brought them. So that that one, that chapter, I would absolutely read 100 times out of 100. So um, before we wrap up, Sam, is there anything else on your mind as it pertains to the last couple of days or where we are headed in this universe? On to Cincinnati. On to Cincinnati. Finally. Finally, some football. We get it next week. It has been quite the build. So I appreciate uh, everybody who's dropped in to listen. If you enjoyed this and you're not a regular listener to the podcast, check it out, Purple Insider, purpleinsider.substack.com. And thanks, as always, to bring me the news for hosting us on this live stream. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. I think we're going to do this Tuesday during the regular season. Mm -hmm. Everything's been sort of thrown off a little bit, but we'll do it then. So thanks, Sam, for your time. And we'll catch you all later. Thanks, everyone.